Hello and welcome back to Scottish Independence Podcast. This is the first in our, what's going to be a mini series of, of podcasts that we're doing coming out of the SNP conference. We'll just say up front again, Scottish Independence Podcast is not party political, but when you're in the independence movement, how are we going to get to independence? So we're going to work through the proposals, the amendments and what was actually decided and just see if we're on the same page there, because we've already had a few <laughs> conversations that suggest <laughs> perhaps we're taking different things out of different places, which is fine. And it is fine, isn't it? And I've seen people on social media saying, hang on, I, I'm confused, and what actually happened there? And I, I understand that, because, I mean, I listened to some of it as it was happening on the YouTube. It, there was one resolution, but then there was, what, amendments A to G, and then, you know, you listen to it, and then you don't quite clock what's been said. And What's the difference between an amendment, a proposal, a remit, back a direct negative <laughs> who knows what they're talking about well, so we're going to try and help demystify that with the, the main <laughs> proposals and amendments so the, the basic yeah. resolution is under the names of humza yusuf and stephen flynn so the first is humza proposing the resolution when i became leader i promised that our independent strategy would be decided not by me but by you our members and our motion today is a culmination of thousands of discussions that we've had over the last few months in branches, in regional assemblies, at our independence convention in Dundee earlier this year. This has been a debate in the very best traditions of our party. Robust, passionate, respectful and above all democratic. And after today, when we've democratically decided as a party together on the way forward, let us unite. For it is our unity which is our greatest strength as a party. Let us resolve to absolutely have this debate, as I've said, in the best traditions of our party. Then we must move on from talking about process to talking about policy. We're talking about the how of independence, the why of independence. Conference earlier today in a fantastic opening address, Stephen spoke of being honest with each other. He was absolutely right. And it is with that honesty that I tell you there is no shortcut that will get us to independence. I'll tell you what will. Listening, campaigning, persuading. After today's debate, let us agree that we come together and work like we've never worked before to deliver a better future for our country. You see, delegates, this party doesn't fear democracy. We embrace it. We all know that the fact that Westminster is denying Scotland a democratic referendum, well, that tells you precisely who fears democracy, and no wonder. How are they going to persuade the people of Scotland to stay in a Westminster system that is causing people so much harm? How can they expect us to ever trust them again when they told us that voting no means we'll stay in the European Union? How can they convince us that this is the best it gets when all around us we see independent European countries of Scotland's size outperforming the UK. Conference, they said that staying in the UK would mean stability. But the reality is the UK, a country where prime ministers' terms of office are not measured in years or even months, but in the longevity of a lettuce. <laughs> it is precisely because we have the winning arguments that Westminster is running scared and denying democracy. However, being honest, the fact is we have hit a Westminster roadblock. So if they are going to deny us a referendum, then let us use the next general election 
to put independence front and centre. Because be in no doubt conference, this party will never shy away from or abandon our fight for Scotland's independence. The people of Scotland, they're crying out for a better future. So it's our duty to set out how independence can bring about that better future. People say the most important issue facing the country is the economy. I couldn't agree more. That is precisely why I am proposing that on page one, line one of our manifesto, it reads, vote SNP for Scotland to become an independent country. Because it is through independence, it is only through independence that we can extract ourselves from a failed Brexit-based UK economy and win the powers that we need to build a stronger, fairer future. Our children, your children, my children, they deserve nothing less. Uh, let me turn to today's amendments. While I have absolutely some sympathy uh, for the argument that we should make Westminster a de facto referendum, and I have tons of respect for the individual who's proposing it, I believe it's the wrong approach for us to take. I understand why some people propose for the next Westminster election we should set a bar of 50% plus one of the vote as a mandate for independence. But let's not fall into the trap of setting ourselves a bar that no other party sets itself to win. Don't get me wrong. If the Westminster parties want to test for popular support the proposition of independence, let's do it via a referendum. If they give us the powers, I'll hold the referendum tomorrow. But in an election, a majority of seats is a victory, plain and simple. So for that reason, I don't believe amendments F and G will advance independence and ask you therefore, conference, not to support them. In fact, I've seen this morning that Joanna Cherry has agreed not to move her amendment, which I'm very, very grateful for. Conference, I will be backing amendments A and E, which if taken together, would transfer a range of powers to the Scottish Parliament, including the power to hold an independence referendum. That should be in our hands, not in the hands of the Westminster government. And of course, while setting our Westminster goal as winning a majority of seats, so happy to take those amendments. If we win that majority, that will be our mandate to begin negotiations with the UK government of how to put into democratic effect the decision of the Scottish people. In the context of an election which we are saying, vote SNP to become an independent country. Amendments B and C also make sense, so I urge you, conference, to accept them too. Our movement has always prided itself on being a, a civic uh, movement. We've been civic, we are open, we are collegiate, we're collaborative. We'll take a Team Scotland approach to our negotiations with the UK government. And that's why I'm also pleased to accept Joanne and the TUG Group's Amendment D for the need of a constitutional convention. Never has independence been more urgent. And now is the time to inspire people, to show them the better country we can build with the powers of independence. A country with a well-being economy at its heart. One which uses its wealth to benefit everyone, not just the few at the top. A country which rejoins the European Union and regains access to the world's largest single market. A country which shows global leadership on tackling climate change. A country which offers sanctuary to those fleeing conflict and persecution around the world. And a country which builds a safer world by getting rid of its weapons of mass destruction. Now is the time, now is the time to show with everything that we've got that this party stands by its core founding principles. To say to people in Scotland, vote for what you believe in. The real change, the real escape from the Westminster cost of living crisis comes with independence. Vote for the party that will always fight Scotland's corner. The more votes we win, the more support for independence we will secure. The closer the day will be.
when we become an independent country. I move the motion in my name, I urge conference to back it, and to back amendments A, B, C, D, and E. There's nothing really that controversial about what you said, I don't think. You know, the way he lays it out, it all sounded very reasonable. The only thing that I realised when I was listening to it, I thought, ah, that's the de facto referendum that Nicola Sturgeon said we were going to have. That's gone for the general election. Yeah. I took that as being the main outcome of, of the resolution that he and Stephen have put forward, that we're not going to talk about that any longer. If you do still talk about a referendum, you've got to go for 50% plus one of the votes. And that's what is really clear, that that is now not on the table for the general election. So I suspect we're going to come back to that um, in a bit more detail as we go through this debate. But I, that was yeah. the main thing I took out of what he said. He used this phrase, we've run into a Westminster roadblock. The general election is the next opportunity we've got to make the independence movement's presence felt in a democratic setting. And the other thing I liked about his speech was that he, having got past that, that point, he then started laying out some vision. The point keeps being made that we need to stop talking about process and start talking about why. But obviously to do that, you have to decide what your process is. So, okay, so shall we listen to Stephen Flynn now? And that message of belief in Scotland, of what we can achieve, lies at the very heart of the motion that's before you all today. For those of us who support independence, the message, I couldn't be clearer. Page one, line one, a vote for the SNP is a vote for Scotland to become an independent country. We cannot be clearer than that. But of course, through many of the amendments that the First Minister has outlined that we will accept to this motion, it is about much more than that too. And in this regard, I turn to Amendment A lodged by Tommy Shepherd and many others. Because if you believe that the powers over migration shouldn't lie in Westminster, that they should lie in Holyrood, if you believe that powers over energy shouldn't lie in Westminster, they should lie in Holyrood, if you believe that powers over employment law and so many other things shouldn't lie in Westminster but Holyrood, if you believe that the power to hold an independence referendum shouldn't lie in Westminster, but in Holyrood, then we are the party for you too. And conference, I hear many arguments coming towards us. There are those who believe that we should turn our back and walk out of Westminster, that we should become abstentionists. To those friends and those colleagues, I say very simply, that whilst we remain a part of the United Kingdom, as frustrating as that is for all of us, I will never leave the people of Scotland without a voice in that Parliament. And to those who say that we should set independence aside and focus just on the cost of living crisis, well, I repeat my message from earlier. There is an inextricable link between the cost of living crisis and the need for Scottish independence. Energy bills are high, because of decades of failed Westminster energy policies. Mortgage bills are high because a UK Westminster Prime Minister crashed the economy. Food prices are high because the UK Westminster dragged us out of the European Union. The message could not be clearer to each and every single person on either side of the arguments that are, of course, in front of us. But colleagues, I want to finish in perhaps a different way, and that's to reflect upon someone who isn't here. There's an individual, many of whom I'm sure you've seen online in recent months, called Nancy Duffy. And Nancy recently passed away. And, you know, when I met Nancy up in the Brock, I was, I was inspired, because she had fought her entire life for what she believed in. Her belief is my belief. Her belief is your belief as well. Let's get on and finish the job for people like Nancy and every other person who has came before us. Let's agree to the motion 
as amended lets unite and lets deliver that independent nation that we so badly need and so badly deserve. I have to say, when I listened to Stephen, I, t I kind of wasn't that impressed. Don't quite know, don't quite know why I, would, I like him when he's in. You know, I think he's really good in the Commons. Actually, I mean, he's quite a you know a strong speaker, but somehow it didn't really impact on me that speech. And then when he got to the point he was making that there's an argument for a, a certain point, maybe what we do is the MPs leave Westminster, and then him saying, "Frustrating though Westminster is, he wouldn't abandon Scotland to not having a voice in the Commons by leaving." I understand why that is, and you you, you know you know there's, a, there's an awful lot of work gets done by MPs behind the scenes, not in the Commons chamber, but you know they refer matters about their constituents direct to you know the, the department concerned, or they're in select committees, and there's a lot of work gets done. So I you know I understand there'd be a loss, but a bit of me just thought, yeah, but you know to rule it out so adamantly, it seemed to me is that I was a bit kind of thinking you need to leave the doors open. I agree with that. Um, I, that struck me as soon as he said it, it was like Zoro, because the big question, we will come back to it, is so what if Westminster say no to things that are being proposed? And he's, he's actually framing it as abstentionism and abandoning people. You know, that's the framing he's putting on it. But actually, leave some wriggle room because when we get to talking about constitutional conventions, for example, maybe what they do is they spend two days a week in Westminster, you know, just turn up for the Scottish Affairs Committee and PMQs and then spend the rest of the time up here working. Yep. There's things that could be done that aren't totally one way or the other. Yeah. But uh, I was a bit surprised. The other thing, I mean, he is one of our favourite speakers. He often features in bits and pieces. And his, his address to the conference, the welcome, I thought was a much, much better speech. Maybe he'd said all the good <laughs> stuff in the morning. We don't know. <laughs> Okay, so now we get to the first of the amendments. The first person to propose an amendment was Tommy Shepherd. And Tommy, another fantastic speaker. For anyone who's sitting with the amendments, you know, <laughs> in print or on the screen before them, this is Amendment A and it's about transfer of powers. Scotland will become an independent self-governing nation. And for that to happen, it will require, indeed it must require, a final majority vote of all of the citizens who live in this country. That final vote is not what is on the agenda at the 2024 general election. We have a much more fundamental challenge then, and it is in essence whether our journey to independence continues or whether it ends. And we need to say to everyone who believes that Scotland should be an independent country, whether that is in one month one year or ten years, or indeed who wants to keep alive the possibility and the option to have a choice and independence in the future, we need to say to them unequivocally they must vote SNP at that election. Because if the SNP win the 24 general election in Scotland, then that journey continues and we will press on with the case for independence. But if we lose that election, then that journey stops. The debate will be closed down and it will be taken off the table. So we cannot afford to lose that election. Now, there is a good 10% or more gap between those people who say they support independence and those people who say at the moment that they will vote SNP. And closing that gap should be central to our election preparations. Some will tell you but the reason why that gap's there is because we're not strident enough about independence. But if that were true, then surely we would see some growth and support for other minor independence parties, and we would not see a leeching of some of our support to the Labour Party. The truth, conference, is that there is 10% or more of the Scottish electorate who want Scotland to be an independent country, but it is not the main thing on their mind right now, and it is not what is driving them to vote in next year's election. And so, as others have said, we need to say to them more than ever before that it is not a case of independence being some sort of arid constitutional debate on the one hand and all the other policies on the other. That is a ridiculous argument. Independence is about 
the powers to change lives, the power to eradicate poverty, the power to tackle the climate crisis, the power to deal with the energy situation. That is what it's about. And in order to drive home that message, I believe, as this amendment says, we should be arguing for the immediate, the immediate transfer of powers to the Scottish Parliament from a new UK administration, which gives the Scottish Government the power to act in months rather than years to improve the lives for the people that live here in Scotland. And independence and the journey towards it will then be seen as the ability to make those powers permanent and to go on to nation statehood. Now that is a compelling message, I believe, and one on which we can mobilise people. Throughout Britain, people are being offered the choice between a right-wing, populist, dangerous Conservative Party in on the one hand, and a shallow husk of a party that used to be called Labour that has zero ambition under its current leadership. In Scotland, we have a better choice. We are able to say we want to go further and faster to deal with the economic crisis and improve a lot of our people, but we also demand the right to consider becoming a self-governing independent country. And I believe that that is a compelling message on which we can mobilise support and get people behind us in next year's election. So I urge you to support this amendment and to vote for the main motion. Thank you. Well, I was quite taken aback when, when he said, does our journey to Indy carry on or does it end if, if we lose a case for Indy in this general election, which I think is what he said. But I did think it was interesting what, what and he said that needing to close the gap between those who support Indy and those who say they will vote SNP, because I think he said it was something like 10% who want Indy are not so sure about supporting the SNP now. And, and he's interpreting that as saying, well, Presumably that means that India isn't, independence isn't so at the forefront of their concerns and the, their minds and what we need to do is persuade them. It could equally be the other way around, couldn't it? They're totally sure that they want independence, but they're not quite as sure as they once were that SNP is the way to get it. But, uh, but the point is that in a first-past-the-post, realistically, the SNP is the party that you need to vote for because yes. the other parties are not going to manage to get any candidates in under first past the post. I think what he's saying is right. If we don't have that majority in Westminster, then that takes away a lot of our arguments because they'll just bat it back saying, well, you don't represent most people. I liked having blown out of the water the idea of the general election next year being a de facto. He kind of brought in the idea, ah, but Holyrood could be which was, I think, important to have something to focus on. We're going to listen to two together. So they're both um, spoken for by Tony Giuliani. So the first one is Amendment B, and that's about a renewed independence campaign. And then the second one is Amendment C, and that is about the, the ballot paper description and changing what would be on the SNP ballot description. So we'll just listen to them together. I want you to think back to how you felt in those hopeful months leading up to the referendum in 2014. We had momentum. We were shifting opinion from no to yes in town halls across Scotland. We shattered the myth that our country was too wee and too poor and raised Scotland's self-confidence. We demonstrated that independence was bigger than our party, that support was everywhere in every sector of Scottish society. And we did so by building the most progressive, inclusive, grassroots campaign that our country had ever seen, laser focused on the prize and pulling together in a single direction. Conference, it's time to rekindle that energy, vision and unity of 2014. Which is why when we leave this conference, with whichever strategy we choose, not only do we get behind it, we must move on, as the First Minister said, from the how of independence to the why of independence once more. Because let's be frank, Despite a decade of Tory austerity, despite Brexit, despite the corruption on display at Westminster, the dial has not shifted enough on independence. It's on us to articulate with clarity and candour our alternative to this unequal union. And we'll win when we knock on people's doors and they can tell us what our position is on borders, currency and pensions. There is no shortcut. 
I welcome the Scottish Government's papers on independence, but we need a campaign that brings them to life with messages that resonate and hit home. We owe it to our activists who are pounding the streets and we owe it to the public. Which is why I'm asking you to back this amendment. Our aim must be to make support for yes unstoppable. Build hope. Make the connection between people's struggles and what we could achieve with independence. Amplify the success of our small neighbours. Demonstrate across every area of policy the limitations of devolution. And yes, conference, hit back at the daily drip feed of lies designed to undermine our party and our cause. We have the chance to escape Tory governments for good and build a country where no one is left behind. Where we end the abomination of child poverty in energy-rich Scotland. Where we represent ourselves on the world stage. And my goodness, has our First Minister demonstrated what international leadership looks like in recent days. It's time to kickstart our campaign and take our message to every community, every street and every door. So please pass this amendment. I think the lesson from Rutherglen was resoundingly clear. We need to talk about independence and we need to talk about powers for a purpose. Powers that will tackle inequality and transform our public services. We're asking the people of Scotland to vote for independence not as an end to itself. I agree with much of what Tommy Shepherd said. But to gain the levers, to tackle the cost of living head on, we need the powers of an independent country to build an energy system designed for communities, not corporate greed, to abolish zero-hour contracts, to invest in the green jobs of the future and turbocharge our economy, to protect the Scottish Parliament from Westminster power grabs and to escape the calamity of Brexit that we did not vote for and conference to never see a Tory government imposed on Scotland again. To achieve this, delegates, we must make it clear beyond doubt what's at stake at this election. And that's why, if this amendment passes, we will add the words independence for Scotland to our name and logo on the general election ballot papers. In itself, this is not some magic wand solution, but it sends an important message complementing our commitment on page one, line one of our manifesto, that a vote for the SNP is a vote for Scotland to become independent. Because our challenge is to mobilise and win back the trust of SNP voters who in Rutherglen stayed home. And make no mistake, if we're asking yes voters beyond the SNP to lend us their vote in this election, we need to give them a reason for doing so. We cannot take those votes for granted. No single political party holds a monopoly on nation building. It will take all of us. So let us reach out across the political divide. Independence for Scotland. That's who we are. That's what we believe in. And that's what we will fight for in this election. I'm sure there's some people saying we never stop campaigning, but, you know, he's talking about grassroots art, focused energy, moving on to why independence, renewing that, putting a bit more oomph into it. And he is meaning from the SNP point of view, after all, he's not saying that other people haven't been campaigning. Yeah. He's saying we need to get back in there and, and do it. So let's hope that that is something that happens. And I tell you what, what I struck me was when he said he appreciates that Scott Gover brought out those policy papers, but they need to be brought to life. And you and I have said that at various points in previous yeah. points. Well, you have. And he came up with a great line, actually, which was that people on the doorstep ought to be telling the campaigners what the position is. It should be that well understood and that crisply stated. But I mean, it seems to me there is a huge opportunity here if they are going to be refreshing any kind of campaign to get together with other parts of the independence movement who are doing a great job in that space already, like Believe in Scotland, for example. They've got... Well, it, I mean, and it does say it needs to be from the grassroots up and that needs to be supported. So we can hold them to that. And it stops nitpicking from unionists saying, well, you know, people vote S&P for all sorts of different reasons, which we've heard. We've heard that often. So that will at least make that clear and, and of course it will, it will be in the first line of their manifesto. So what I'm assuming is that other independence supporting parties will do the same thing. Next one is Joanna Cherry and uh, she is uh, speaking in favour of Amendment D. Uh, that's about setting up a constitutional convention. The driving force of this party is the cause of independence. 
and as a matter of international law, the people of Scotland have the same right to self-determination as any other people in the world, so don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. The best way to demonstrate majority support for independence would be to hold another referendum. But despite our many mandates to do that, the current Westminster government won't agree because they know we would win this one. Support for independence is remaining steady around the 50% mark, and with another campaign, the only way would be up. For the last few years, I've argued that delegates should debate our independence strategy on the floor of this conference, and now at last we are doing so, and I want to pay tribute to Hamza and to Stephen for facilitating that. The new leadership of this party are returning our party to its tradition of respectful and reasoned debate, and in this, they have my full support. Hamza also has my full support in his call for unity. Over the last week, I've had the pleasure of discussing with Hamza how that unity might be brought about, and I recognise that it will require compromise and sacrifices from everyone. And that's why I'm prepared to compromise by not insisting on my Amendment F, but I know that others may want to speak to it. I'm also in complete agreement with Hamza that it would not be wise to treat next year's general election as a de facto referendum. But I also agree with Tommy and the proposers of Amendment A that we should leave open the possibility of treating a Holyrood election as a de facto referendum on the understanding that votes for any of the independent supporting parties should count towards a majority. As Tony has just said, when it comes to self-determination, there is no hierarchy of votes. And on our journey to independence, we must take others with us. That's why I want to see the promise of a constitutional convention come to fruition. And I'm absolutely delighted to have Hamza's support for my proposal. The constitutional convention should consist of any MP or MSP who wishes to join it, regardless of which party they belong to but it should also include representatives of Civic Scotland, the grassroots independence movement, and indeed representatives from the smaller pro-independence parties. Conference, we all know that Scotland can be a successful independent country and take its rightful place on the world stage. But how we get there is not straightforward, and it must include bringing as many people with us as possible. And that means reaching out to the grassroots movement and to other pro-independence parties, as well as those who are not yet convinced. And I think a constitutional convention can do that. And the last thing I want to say is this. Some people say that in debating our independence strategy, we're just talking to ourselves, but we're not. Our independence strategy is a fundamental matter of democracy, and it's fundamental to realizing the right of self-determination those are the reasons why I and you joined the SNP, and that's why I'm so delighted that at last, this afternoon, delegates are getting the chance to debate our strategy. It's just always nice to listen to Joanna Cherry's speeches because she's so clear. Earlier on in the, when this agenda was being set up, she had a name to a, an amendment that went for 50% of the votes plus one. So she's moved away from that. So that's the whole thing that Hamza, we'd said, we're not talking about a de facto referendum any longer. So she's also kind of laid that down, but has brought in the idea of setting up a constitutional convention as a way of bringing in other groups from across the political spectrum who believe in independence. So anyone who believes in independence and has got some you know, civic presence in, in Scotland, I mean, You'd think believe in Scotland, you'd think hopefully maybe some of the trade unions, that might be a bit more difficult to achieve, but grassroots organisations from the, from the Yes movement. And of course, I mean, she made a point of saying it, didn't she? Representatives from the smaller independence uh, supporting parties would be part of it. I think for me, this is the radical thing that's part of this strategy going forward. I mean, it's not radical in terms of there have been Scottish constitutional conventions before, 30, 40 years ago, when it was to do with setting up devolution. But bringing that back in now when it's to do with independence, that strikes me as being the, the, the radical thing in this particular parcel of proposals. So I was really pleased. I liked that suggestion as well. And I think it's interesting that she, she specified that it wouldn't be led by the Scottish government, which I thought, well, who's going to lead it then?
So that, that'll be interesting to see how the practicalities of it work. And it'll also be interesting to see if, if it stays high up on the agenda or if it starts to fade away. If it's a group of elected MPs and MSPs and civic groups, there's going to have to be some kind of structure at the top to make it happen. You know, what's been decided, in at least as far as the SNP, is they're going to go take that forward to set it up. Obviously, they're not setting up a body that's part of the SNP because it's much wider than that. I mean, you make a good point because it should be set up as soon as possible. It should be started as soon as possible, I think, so that mm-hmm. something's in place and maybe got a bit of momentum going, you know, even by the time we get to campaigning in the general election. And I mean, personally, I hope Joanna Cherry's one of the people that, that starts setting it up and taking it mm-hmm. forward. And it also would be a very useful forum, I think, if they get to some of the other things that they said they will start negotiating and the, we've got the draft constitution, we've got negotiating of a separation agreement, all the things that were part of if they get that majority, that would be a good forum, I think, for saying, well, what is our position? What do we want to negotiate? Yeah, and that's one of the main reasons for setting it up so that you get a broader range mm. of uh, input and opinion than you would get merely from the SNP. Yeah. So. For me, personally, it would be crucial to see that being taken forward as soon as possible. Yeah. And the other thing, the other detail with it, which we're not going to know the answer to right now, and possibly the reason they've said not led by Scottish government, it will need some funding of some kind. And I think it's sidestepping criticism and potential problems of the code of Section 35 variety if it's not led by the Scottish government. Yeah, I don't think it can be led by the Scottish government. And better that it's not. Yeah, better that it's not. Yeah. There was an amendment that uh, cleared up whether it's going to be most seats or a majority of Scottish seats. It's clear now it's it's going to be a majority of Scottish seats that will be taken as a mandate to open negotiations. So what was the next one? Wasn't that David Buckley? David Buckley, now we both really enjoyed this speech, didn't we? It was a breath of fresh and it was a little bit of rebellion. Now, it didn't, it didn't get accepted, but it's still worth listening to, and I think there were still some ideas that, if not this time round, it may be that we have to come back round to some of these yeah, ideas yeah, later on. I'm supporting the remit back to this resolution because I consider this strategy, even if amended, fundamentally flawed. Nowhere in the resolution or any of the amendments is there an effective follow-up strategy for the outcome where the next Prime Minister turns to us after the election and simply says, no, get stuffed. Regardless of who is in number 10, be it Starmer or Sunak, there is no likely election result where a second referendum will be forthcoming. There is one, only one outcome where we might have some leverage over Westminster, and that is where a minority Labour government is wholly dependent on SNP MPs in order to gain power. It's not impossible, but it is extremely unlikely, and this is a gamble of very long odds in which to wager the health, happiness and prosperity of five and a half million people. What then is the alternative? The answer is simple, though not so simple to implement. We must become ungovernable. We must make the economic and social cost of keeping Scotland in the Union greater than the cost of letting us go. In short, we must be willing to adopt a fully treasonous attitude towards Westminster and the Union. Multiple parliaments and multiple prime ministers have denied our right to choose our destiny repeatedly over the last eight years. It is clear to me now, after Tory gerrymandering of our constituencies and Labour tolerance for racism and transphobia, that the established powers of the British state now stand against human dignity, against human rights and against the democratic process. We must mobilise the people of Scotland and their millions in this endeavour. I do not believe that this battle can be won in the halls of Westminster anymore. Victory can only come as a result of the unified voice, hands and minds of the Scottish people. We need trade unions, tenants unions and community groups on our side. And if the established trade unions are unwilling to defy the British state, then we must all work to build our own organising structures committed to this cause. I will admit that a part of me does believe that the strategy proposed here today must be attempted, even if it is doomed to failure. But the real work of mobilising the fight for our rights must start now. Otherwise, we risk wasting precious days, weeks or months in the wake of Starmer or Sunak's denial of our right to self-determination. The next independence movement must be built from the ground up. It must have human rights and human dignity at its heart. It must be committed to non-violence and equally as committed to direct confrontation with the British state in all its forms. We must be infinitely kind, yet infinitely uncompromising, hopeful but realistic, and wholly, wholly committed to opposing the far-right bigotry embraced by the Conservative Party and tolerated by Keir Starmer's Labour Party. I would like to finish by quoting American civil rights activist Mario Savio. 
There is a time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart, that you cannot take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. And you've got to indicate to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you are free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. That was David Buckley leading the revolution there. You and I are going to, we're going to join in, aren't we? We're going to help oh, make absolutely. Scotland become ungovernable. Ungovernable, yeah. going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I okay, thought he so just had some good stuff. You know, it's like the battle can't be won in the halls of Westminster anymore. Yeah. Yes. And make it cost them more to keep us than to have us go. I, I just like to, I just write. Oh, that was great. There's a lot you can do that's legal that causes yeah. an awful lot of grief for um, yeah. institutions. And, 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 and I mean, right at, at the end, you know, he did admit that, yeah, maybe it is true that this strategy has to be a, the one that is in the resolution has to be attempted. But let's also start the real work now, setting ourselves up for that civil disobedience mm. campaign. So anyway, let's see yeah. what happens. Just speaking to the people, all of you who are listening to this, we're getting there. Stick with us. The next one then is Graham McCormack. And uh, he's going a step further than David. David Buckley said, look, this isn't good enough, folks. Take it back. Think again. Come back to us. Um, Graham McCormick goes a bit further and he's he's speaking in favour of what's called the direct negative, which is just basically, no, we're not doing that. He starts off with, well, what if the UK government says no? This resolution and the amendments fail to answer the basic question. What if we get a majority of the votes? And in order to satisfy international norms, we need a majority of the votes. What if we get a majority of the votes? And we ask to negotiate, we pose the question and all the other things that are in all these resolutions and amendments, and the UK government says no. Now, some of you might recall that I posed that at the Dundee Convention, and I was at first heartened with what uh, Hamza said about the next election being the independence election. Because, basically, if they say no, or they just agree with us, there is a perfectly acceptable way in which we can become an independent nation-state. And that's not independence, that's dissolution of the Union. And the United Nations even accepts that as an acceptable way. And it even has conventions indicating how the assets and liabilities of the former state can be divided up. But you see, we've had backtracking since Hamza said the independence election. Stephen Flynn spoke at Loch Gilphead to a constituency meeting and admitted that he didn't know of dissolution as being a possible way. But what was worrying is he said, I'm not going to research it, which caused a lot of discontent, not just with myself, but various members of the party at that meeting. And we've had Tommy Shepherd and we've had Alan Smith writing articles in the, in the National indicating that they're looking for the election basically, so that they get back to Westminster to hold the UK government to account. When has the UK government ever given us extra powers since 2016? They're taking them away, and they'll continue to take them away. I was at a select candidate selection meeting where the two candidates that was posed, why doesn't the Scottish government use the powers more widely than it has just now? And I was told, and the people in the, the, the Zoom meeting were told, oh, I'd be a bit scared to do that because uh, they might take these powers away from us. I mean, William Wallace must be burling in his various graves over that one. And then we've got uh, Hamza uh, reported, I think, in an interview in the, in the Herald yesterday, which said that he didn't think that the SNP so far had connected independence with the cost of living crisis. Well, that's the responsibility of our politicians. I mean, they've been there for quite some time. They are the evangelists of independence, and every day they should be contacting that. What we have in front of us here is what I would term uh, flatulence in a trance, because we're being offered things that nobody knows what they're talking about, you know, this thing and that thing and all the rest of it, and we're, we're supposed to come together on that. Now, I think that we should, we should make positive out this negative, and I'll tell you how we do that in my summing up. We, we interviewed Graham in September, and he shared with us his thoughts about alternatives and alternative routes to 
independence in some detail. Some of the, the points he touched on just now in his speech, but obviously he's only got a few minutes at the conference. And if you want to know more about his thinking, you can listen to that. Uh, you'll find it on our website. Yes, it's called Roots to Independence. Roots to Independence. Yeah. Or it's Good. on YouTube as well. Yeah. He had an interesting turn of phrase, actually, sometimes, Graham, doesn't he? I like the one about <laughs> William Wallace must be burling in his grave. But uh. Okay, so, so look, I think this is the point where we'd put in the guy speaking in favour of Amendment F. F and G are essentially both arguing for a majority vote, but the one we've chosen to include also referred to other parties and how they might count. As you can see, folks, it does get difficult to keep track of it all, but we're trying hard here. So, yeah. um, so we're going to listen to Chris Hanlon. This is the amendment that Joanna Cherry was going to speak in favour of. She's decided to go with the majority of seats rather than, rather than the majority of votes. So Chris is doing it instead. When Theresa May had the unmitigated arrogance to tell the sovereign people of Scotland that now was not the time, that was the moment that the formerly United Kingdom ceased to be a voluntary union of equals. That was the moment that an agreed Section 30 referendum was dead as a path to independence. And that was the moment that we needed to sit down and start having this discussion. Over the years since, persistent voices have suggested that we should use a Holyrood election as a plebiscite on the matter all the while ignoring the likely intransigence of that illegitimate UK government. Nevertheless, we gave that a try. Two years ago, we won 50.5% in a Hollywood plebiscite and whether Hollywood would legislate for a second referendum. That path, too, was blocked, this time by a UK Supreme Court captured by political expediency. The only remaining narrative that has any legitimacy in the story of the UK as a voluntary union of equals is that, in accordance with the claim of right, the expression of the settled will of the sovereign people of Scotland at a UK general election is self-executing. If a majority of those who vote in any such election vote for candidates that support dissolving the union, then that, in principle, is indisputably a legitimate method of bringing about independence. The important thing here is that this is a strategy that the sovereign people of Scotland, all of them, can accept as legitimate and a fair way to make such a decision. Now, I hope that we will adopt that strategy here today and that next year we will go on to blow the doors off our 2015 results and achieve our independence. But even if that doesn't happen, even if the sovereign people of Scotland are not quite ready to take that step, yet it is crucial that here today we put this matter to rest, adopt this as our strategy going forward, so that in every future UK general election, the parties that make up the anti-independence coalition know that the people of Scotland will be standing in judgment of them and can choose to bring the union to an end if they find them wanting. I recommend that you vote for amendments A, B, C, D and F, or frankly re reject the resolution entirely as lacking in ambition. I think we should leave open the possibility of every future UK general election being an opportunity for the sovereign people of Scotland to choose freedom. Now we've got Mike Russell. He's going to tell us why these amendments F and G, that's the two that were about go for a majority of votes. He's now speaking against them and telling us why that isn't a good idea. I'm speaking against amendments F and G, not because I don't believe they're well meant, but because I don't believe in making life more difficult and certainly more difficult to deliver what the people of Scotland really need. I agree with Humsa and, and Joanna at the beginning. We've got a real opportunity today to settle this issue, to make sure we move on from talking about the process of independence to talking about the promise of independence. Independence that will change every single life in Scotland for the better. And I don't want to wait for that. And I don't certainly want to wake upon opponents who do not have, you'll be surprised by this, our best interests at heart. Because what Greg McCarra has just said is absolutely true. Remember the 40% rule. Do you think that if this party said it'll be 50% plus one, that Alistair Jack, you can boo now if you want, that Alistair, good, that Alistair Jack would not say, no, no, it's 55% or it's 60% or it's got to be held on a Tuesday when the moon is waning. They will do anything to stop this happening. Remember what Winnie Ewing said, Britannia waves the rules. And that is precisely what will happen. Now, we keep being told by those people, the democracy deniers at Westminster, that it's elections that matter. Okay, 
It's elections that matter. And what happens if you win an election is you get a right to deliver what you have promised. Indeed, you have a duty to deliver what is promised. So we stand in an election with this resolution as the basis of our strategy. We say that is what we will do. That is what not just we intend to do, but what we will do. And we have the method in there with a convention and moving forward. And then we do what the people tell us to do. If we have a majority of seats, we deliver that. And by delivering that, we move on from dependence to independence. This has been a great opportunity this afternoon and a great debate, but we've got to finish it properly. And we have to finish it with every respect for those who believe that the mandate is 50% plus one. I'm sure they believe that. We have to finish it by saying we need to do this in a way that we will win. That means making sure we get the majority of seats. And that is why these two amendments are wrong. Fiona and I have now reached a few. We've gone through them all. I mean, it must have been even harder work if you were actually there in, in the room while it, while it was happening. It was nearly two hours worth of the conference that we've just condensed into yeah, um, under an hour here. Yeah. But now we've got to the point where all those resolutions and, well, the amendments first and then the resolution, people get a couple of minutes just to sum up what, what they said and, and, and why they want us to vote yeah. for it you know, or, or against it, as the case may be. People don't have to sum up for their amendment that they proposed, but m most of them did. So we've got Tommy Shepherd. Tommy Shepherd, Joanna Cherry, Pete Wishart and Gray McCormack. Yeah. I just want to speak very briefly to some of the points that have been raised and what I also think has been an excellent democratic debate, the like of which you will not see at any other party conference in the United Kingdom. The arguments that the amendments have made for a majority of votes only apply if you wish to regard next year's general election as a referendum on Scottish independence. If that is your view, then yes, it should be a majority of votes rather than seats. And that is the crux of this debate. But it is not a referendum. It is a general election, not our general election, not our rules, not our game, but it's one that we participate in. And we should not participate in that applying to ourselves a different and a higher test of success than that which our opponents apply to them. And we certainly, we certainly cannot afford to go into that election and win a majority of seats and then be told that we have a mandate for nothing at all. So this resolution and Amendment A is about making sure we have a clear mandate to take our campaign and our journey to independence forward and to advance those demands after that election to a new UK administration. And some people have said, I heard somebody say, oh, we're just setting up another thing for them to say no to. Possibly, but we don't know that. And if you say that the outcome of the general election cannot allow for the possibility of change, then you might as well not have that election in the first place. The truth is we could be facing a different situation, a historically new situation, and that is to have a so-called left of centre progressive government in the UK, which does not have a mandate in Scotland. That would be the first time ever that would happen in the history of this union. And it would be a new situation which just gives us new opportunities. But conference, remember this, this resolution in Amendment A clearly says that if they continue to ignore us, to disrespect us, to say no, then we will say yes, and we have an opportunity coming in 2026 to make sure that on our terms we can repurpose that democratic event to allow the people of Scotland to have our say. So, conference, keep the head. Let's be clever, let's be thoughtful, and let's have a strategy that takes us not just to this election, but beyond it to the next one. Conference to reiterate, I'm urging you to support this resolution with Tommy's Amendment A and my Amendment D. If we do that, next year's general election will not be a de facto referendum, but we will have a manifesto with independence at its heart and a fallback position if the UK government won't recognise our mandate. These fallbacks will include the option of treating the next Holyrood election as a de facto refer referendum, and because of my amendment, the option of bringing the wider movement and Civic Scotland together with us into a constitutional convention. And I just want to remind you of the manuscript amendment that Kirsten read out at the beginning. 
If you look at paragraph 6, what with Humza's agreement, I want to add, after the words the Scottish Government is empowered to begin immediate negotiations with the UK Government to give democratic effect to Scotland becoming an independent country, I want to insert there, open, open inverted commas, and establish a constitutional convention constituted by the MPs elected to Westminster, MSPs and representatives of Civic Scotland to assist such negotiations. Conference reaffirms the commitment to set up a constitutional convention which was made in January 2020. That's what you're being asked to support. And of course, a commitment to set up a constitutional convention was made in January 2020, but then COVID intervened. But if you support this motion, my amendment, it will happen. And I want to thank Hamza for saying that it will happen. And I want to thank the trade union group for their support and urge you to go to their fringe meeting this afternoon. And I also want to thank Amy, Jamie Hepburn and Stuart for speaking in support of my amendment D. I'll just briefly made the address the points it made against it by Graham. Graham's opposition seemed to boil down to not wanting to work with small parties or those with whom he disagrees. But of course, we're already working with a very small minority party that got less votes than the Tories in Rutherglen, and that's the Scottish Greens. We're already working with them. And we cannot pick and choose which minorities are heard. The voices of all minorities it must be heard, and so must also the voices of all women who make up more than 50% of the population of Scotland, not just those women whose views have been approved in advance, particularly not by a man. So I don't think the reasons uh, for opposition to the motion make any sense. And I also, does my amendment make any sense? And I also disagree with the remit back, because my amendment D and Tommy's Amendment A are designed to give us a fallback position if the next government refuses to come to the negotiating table. Uh, that's what they are for. So please support the resolution with uh, my Amendment D and Tommy's Amendment A. Thank you. I think this is a credit to the party how we can come together in times such as this to discuss our core mission and do it honestly and with real pride, passion and reflection. So it's fantastic we've had that today. And it is quite strange the people you find agreeing with you in events such as this. And I was on the way up to the stage there and somebody shouted up, you're going to get gubbed with this vote today, Pete. And, you know, I may well do that. But it is right that we put forward the different and distinct strands to this particular question. Now, we're here debating this because we've been blocked. We've been blocked by Westminster. They've constantly said no to our legitimate demands for a referendum. Even when we won a majority in the Scottish Parliament, they were not disposed towards giving us that referendum, about allowing us to do this. So I find it utterly bizarre to have any sort of belief that a future UK government will seemingly and readily accept our request for new powers. It's not going to happen. We know the Tories by now. We've seen them in operation for the past decade. We know how they respond to the Scottish National Party. And we've already heard from a future Labour government, and they've already said no to our request. They refuse to accept the basis of our motion. And this is going to continue to happen, conference, until we decide as a party, until we decide as a movement that we take this into our own hands and we design a process where we're able to demonstrate, not just to the UK, but to the world, that a majority of the people of Scotland want Scotland to be an independent nation. The only way that's available to us now is through a general election, through a democratic event. Could you imagine for a minute for going to the United Nations, turning up with our assertion of independence by saying that we're moving towards it? They'll ask us, how much of the vote did you get? And we turn around and say, well, we didn't quite get that, but we got the most seats. We would be laughed out. Conference, it is all about legitimacy. It is all about credibility. It is all about realism. And the only way that we can make progress, assert our independence and move on, is when we get the majority of the Scottish people to agree with us. There is no other shortcut to it. There is no clever motion that we could present to circumvent that. The only thing is a majority. It is up to us to deliver it. We could be independent in 12 months. 
But we've got to have belief, self-belief, belief in each other's, and believe that our destiny is right. But if we accept this motion, and more or less all the amendments to it, we're kicking it down the road. We can dissolve the union in 12 months. If we win a majority of the votes for independent supporting parties, then we can instruct our MPs not to pick up their seats, create a, a, government, a provisional government in Edinburgh, and dissolve the union, and tell the UN and the international community that we are off. You can do that, but we've got to have belief. And if we all actually contributed towards that, we would, we would get all the independence movement together and be successful. I firmly believe that to be the case. Now, I told you this morning about a means by which the Scottish Government could re really relieve the, the energy problems that everyone's facing. They can do that just now. And there are other things through annual ground rent, etc., where they can raise money so that there is plenty of money in order to prosecute uh, independence and dissolve this union and make sure that nobody is prejudiced uh, financially uh, during the process. Because that's the problem. We have about 15% of the population who are sympathetic to it, but they want to know that their personal financial risk is not adversely affected. So here's the answer. So these are the things which we can do, but we've got to have faith in this. You know, I sometimes worry, you know, that we're scared of success in this party. Because success is not winning elections. Success is winning independence. And that is what we should be doing. We can change this negative into a positive. Reject this resolution and instruct the conference committee to come back so that we can have a, a debate tomorrow on dissolving the union. And let's talk about that because we haven't talked about that at all. This isn't democracy if the different ways by which we can independ become independent are not discussed and debated. Thank you very much. Final one, people, keep with us here. So, you know, all the amendments have now been spoken for or against and, and summed up. And now we come back to the original resolution and we're going to listen to Humza, who's, who's summing up that resolution. Um, I set the challenge to the party at the beginning of this debate to do so respectfully, and you have done that. So well done for doing that in the best traditions of our party. Though, uh, Graham, if you hear at FMQs me use the term flatulence in a trance, you will know exactly uh, where it has come from. Um, the second thing uh, that I wanted to say, and I said in my opening, was we have had a robust, passionate, energetic debate around our future strategy. But let me be clear, the talk of process, whatever the party decides, is now done. Let's get on with talking about why independence is necessary. Let's talk about how it can transform the lives of the people of Scotland. Because a number of speakers said, well, the dial just hasn't quite shifted as much as we would have thought, given Brexit, given the chaos of the UK government, given the cost of living crisis. That's because while we point out the failings of Westminster, which is all right and well to do so, we have to give people a reason to vote for independence. So that's it. Process, that discussion we've had. Let's, whatever conference decides, I will abide by it, let's all abide by it. And that's my last point, is unity. Unity. I've been in this party for almost 20 years. We've had bumps in the road. Let's not pretend the last few six, the last six months have been anything other than uh, challenging at times. Eventful, I, I, might say, I, have to, uh, I might say so too. But it is our unity, unity of purpose, which will be our greatest strength. So whatever we decide, whatever you decide as conference, I will certainly accept. Let's all accept. Let's get behind the cause because we know that at least 50% of people uh, support independence. We need to drive that up because whatever process we decide, we will only, of course, become independent if we get more people to support our cause. I look forward uh, to addressing you again, uh, of course, at the keynote speech on Tuesday. But my thanks to each and every one of you for rising to the challenge, speaking so well, passionately, 
and doing so about this issue that is the most important issue our country faces. So well done and I look forward to uh, driving forward this cause, our cause, together with you every single step of the way. The ones that were passed was A, B, C, D and E, and the ones that failed were F and G. And they finally put to bed the question of, is it a majority of seats or is it a majority of votes? And as I think Hamza said, that's the process sorted out. <laughs> now, there's a lot of questions, there's a lot of details still to be teased out, but in terms of what is the general approach the general direction of travel, we now know what it is they've decided. Yeah. So I hope that was helpful. Certainly uh, helped me being led through it by Marlene, who knows more about how the structure <laughs> works than I do. Any burning questions that you're left with? Oh, uh, <laughs> well, you've heard me saying this umpteen times over the last sort of few weeks, Fiona, that for me, so I'm only speaking personally here, right? For me, what's going to be crucial is what happens after the general election, I'm assuming that SNP will get a majority of Scottish seats. I'm also assuming that, well, it's not going to be a Tory government, it'll be a Labour government, but I'm assuming that Westminster will see no on your bike, who do you think you are kind of thing. Maybe not quite so arrogantly said by Labour as it would be arrogant from the, from the Tories, but they'll be out. So for me, the crucial thing has always been what then happens? what happens next and I, and I don't mean like immediately I don't mean like you know days weeks afterwards and that's why I was heartened that amendment about the constitutional convention was taken on board because I think that's a thing if it gets set up quickly or it gets started quickly that can be a way of keeping people's minds focused on where we want to where we want to go and I do think it it's going to play an, an important part in that process and crucially, again, crucially, crucially, it can be a way of bringing different parties together. And that we so need that. No one's angelic in this. There's a sniping goes on from all sides and we just need to get past that. I am optimistic that that constitutional convention can really help bring people together again. I think the convention is a really interesting addition to the discussion because we haven't really had that in the mix before. And I think the devil's going to be in the detail, as always. <laughs> so watch this space. The next episode of the podcast, we're hoping to have a collection of people who were at the conference to see what they think of it. Are they enthused? Are they disappointed? How do they feel about it? So that'll be next week. So hopefully you'll join us for that. And thank you yeah. for listening to this one. Bye. Bye.